As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. O Lord, open our hearts this day to the reading and hearing of your word, and may we hear it with joy, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson this day is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 22 through 33. Listen now for God's word. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there, and they went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing there before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, Abraham spoke to him, Suppose 40 are found there. The Lord answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham said, I do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. The Lord answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. The Lord answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. The Lord answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were fantastic friends. Although the two jurists were renowned for their legal scholarship and judicial prudence, their approaches to the law were, plainly, totally different. Scalia, the ardent textualist, publicly described a majority opinion written by Ginsburg as outlandish, while Ginsburg, the avowed activist, would commonly describe Scalia's opinions as half-baked 
and full of disdainful footnotes. Contrary to these scathing comments, Scalia once called Ginsburg his best buddy and said to a reporter, what's not to like about her except her views on the law? The Scalias and the Ginsburgs would gather each New Year's Eve for an evening of food and deep conversation. The night would begin with champagne, continue with a fine dinner prepared by Ruth's husband, Marty Ginsburg, featuring game taken by Scalia during his post-Christmas hunting trip to the West, and it would conclude with fine and deep conversation, underscored by opera recordings loved by both Antonin and Ruth. Before becoming colleagues on the Supreme Court of the United States, Scalia and Ginsburg were both justices on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, where they bonded over their love for opera and their common history as New York City natives. Antonin Scalia's son, Eugene, wrote last week in an op-ed about his father's abiding friendship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg that was published in the Washington Post. He said, What can we learn from the justices beyond how to be a friend? Is how to welcome debate and differences. The two justices had central roles in addressing some of the most divisive issues of the day, including cases on abortion, same-sex marriage, and who would be president. Not for a moment did one think the other should be condemned or ostracized. More than that, they believed that what they were doing arriving at their own opinions thoughtfully and advancing them vigorously, was essential to the national good. With less debate, their friendship would have been diminished, and so, they believed, would our democracy. This abiding friendship across ideological lines seems so far-fetched when we examine our nation's current interpersonal landscape. We have divided our nation into two groups. We have chosen to not acknowledge the possibility that someone on the other side of the political gulf might actually share a sliver of truth, let alone a perspective that is worthy of consideration. We have reduced our nation's diversity of thought, experiences, and perspectives into into cut-and-dry dichotomies like liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat, evangelical or progressive. We have forgone the messy middle because it is tidier and easier to pin ourselves in neat little boxes of political, ideological, and theological encampments. These illusions of certainty have eroded the very fabric of our collective humanity. By stridently labeling one another, we have taken away the possibility that the person to our left or right, the person we are friends with on Facebook, or the colleague we chat with over a sandwich at lunch, has something to offer us that might challenge us, might offend us, but might make us a more empathetic and compassionate person. God's covenant with Abraham undergirds the conversation between Abraham and God in today's scripture. Fresh off making this covenant where God promises to make a great nation out of Abraham, Abraham initiates a conversation to see just how far the Lord's mercies might extend. 
Throughout the beginnings of God's relationship with creation, it is made clear that God's care extends to all creation, even those who make mistakes. This is the first time we hear humanity asking God to quantify God's nature, to disclose how far God is willing to extend love and mercy. I imagine that if this interaction were filmed, this conversation between God and Abraham would be like the notable walk and talk scenes made famous by the West Wing. In these scenes, two characters walk down a long and winding hallway and, all in one continuous shot, they attempt to make sense of a large issue facing the work of the White House and, by extension, the nation. Imagine with me that God and Abraham are walking down a hallway discussing what they are about to face as they approach Sodom and spend some time with Lot. Abraham had heard about the nefarious things happening in Sodom and was interested to see how this God who made a big promise with Abraham would deal with folks who were living licentiously. As they walk down this proverbial hallway towards Sodom, the steady cam records them going back and forth about the limits of God's mercy. How many righteous people in Sodom would prevent God from destroying the city? What about 50? What about 40? What about 30? Eventually, what about 10? Abraham is nudging God toward mercy. Abraham may have said, Remember, Lord God, that you are the God who sees. You show mercy and you are abounding in steadfast love. Throughout this conversation, God returns each of Abraham's rhetorical volleys with an assurance that for whatever quantity of righteous people, God will not destroy Sodom. Abraham is bargaining with God to not destroy Sodom because of the wicked. And in Abraham's view, the righteous can be used as a catalyst in the face of wickedness. And he wants God to see his perspective. As this walk and talk gets ever closer to their destination, God retorts to Abraham's final question. Suppose 10 are found there. And God responds, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then God went God's own way, the walk and talk ends. God ended this conversation because God and Abraham are in fact not equals. The conversation is over. God and Abraham had a very honest conversation, but it did not arrive at a definite conclusion or produce a definitive answer. Abraham enters Sodom and does not know the limits of God's mercy. And God did not acquiesce to Abraham's plea for God to exercise mercy in Sodom. At this point in the story, Abraham does not know if he changed God's mind, but they had the conversation nonetheless. Abraham and God talked to one another because they had made a covenant, which created a common bond and respect between them enough to have a difficult conversation. Abraham and God listened to one another. They modeled mutual respect and honest care in their walk and talk towards Sodom. And while they did not leave with an agreement on the limits of mercy, they heard one another and showed one another a mutual respect that is sorely missing in our public discourse right now. At Antonin Scalia's funeral in 2016, Ruth Bader Ginsburg eulogized her friend. 
She recounted in her eulogy the story of Scalia writing the dissent to her majority opinion in the case that struck down VMI's tradition of not admitting women as cadets. Scalia had given a draft to Ginsburg ahead of its circulation to the court, a courtesy that's not expected among Supreme Court justices. It was a zinger, she said. But, she added, I was glad to have the extra days to adjust the court's opinion. My draft was much improved thanks to Justice Scalia's searing criticism. Scalia and Ginsburg shared a basic common respect for one another that allowed them to look beyond glaring ideological and judicial differences and become friends. When we look beyond what someone may present on the outside, we may be surprised by the person we find on the inside. We are all wanderers. We are all highly inquisitive and earnest questioners of the world as it is right now, and each of us in our own way desire for the world to be a better place. We must, however, be willing to walk and talk and listen and be made malleable by the perspective of the other. And we may not be changed by the other, but in our listening, we become enmeshed. And through our enmeshment, we break down the encampments that we have built to keep us from listening. The Bitter Southerner is one of my favorite websites. Recently, they produced a list of axioms that have challenged me and pointed me closer to the people I find to be on the opposite end of things from where I sit. Some of my favorite are, give more grace, listen more closely, dance more often, hug more necks, read more books, grow more tomatoes, buy more local, save more recipes, visit more friends, learn more history, look more deeply, can more veggies, cast more votes, start more conversations, take more walks, consider more perspectives, eat more grits, have more mercy, bless more hearts, drive more back roads, tell more stories. When we enmesh ourselves with one another in intentional ways, we begin to see the blessedness of another person. And although our differences may not be sussed out with any immediacy, we will surely see the very real presence of God, the incarnation of God, and who they are, especially when it is harder to see God and what they believe. These axioms point us toward deeper awareness of our place in the world and as a member of the human family, and particularly how we respond to the good news of creation, of our creation and status as God's beloved through intentional, simple, and honest living. This begins with seeing the inherent holiness within every person, the scandal of the God-enlivened life in front of our eyes on the other end of the phone or in the Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram profile we see on our screens. This conversation between Abraham and God in this morning's scripture is a model for how we might work out our differences. We may not always agree, but we have been given a gift as those who worship the God of Abraham and the God who became flesh and showed us the way of peace and of mutual respect in Jesus Christ and to live our lives distinctively. 
to begin a conversation not with the shot across the bow, but with a simple, how are you? To not answer ideological difference with vitriol and disgust, but with the dinner, a New Year's Eve, and a shared love for opera. And by God's grace, given to us so freely by a God who loves each of us, all of us, unconditionally, may we find the ability to listen more closely, to read more books, to visit more friends, to learn more history, to take more walks, to consider more perspectives, to have more mercy, and tell more stories. These stories, the sharing of our very selves, could indeed spark a revolution that will bring us out of our encampments of fear and enmesh us again with one another so that we might know God's love anew every day, regardless of ideology, regardless of party. Amen.